Welcome to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry, presented by Boston Women in Media and Entertainment, sponsored by Tech Help Boston. I'm on a mission to spread inspiring stories around the world. And you know why? Because when we share our stories, we give each other a roadmap. We show each other the way around obstacles. Adversity is a great teacher. And that's what today's story is all about. Overcoming adversity, keeping the faith, believing in yourself, finding the kind of success you never could have imagined years before, and it's all because you never gave up. In the spotlight, a woman who came to the United States from Albania at only nine during a war in her native land. And while her parents struggled to reinvent themselves, she embraced the culture. She learned the language. She excelled in school. At one time, she had hopes of becoming a lawyer, but her life path changed. I'll let her tell you that story. She did struggle, though. And when she applied for a job that was traditionally 100% male, the trajectory of her life changed forever. And this is her story. Greta Bayrami, welcome to the show. Thank you, Candy. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's my pleasure. So take me back. What do you remember about Albania during the war? I know you're only nine years old, but I'm going to guess you have some pictures in your mind. Albania was it was very unfortunate that it suffered to gain government. And obviously, Albania fell communism in 1988, and it spent a lot of time trying to regain a, a government body. And through it came a lot of political, internal civil wars. It was tough because we were always so intellectually rich, but so financially poor, where most of our basic needs weren't met. You know, a country that suffered to have running water, where electricity was only available in certain times of the day. But I'm thankful that my story started in Albania because, man, we never lacked literature. We never lacked vision and guidance. And we we're always so enlightened by stories and empowered by other people. And I think that's how the Albanian people have survived. How did your family apply to come to the United States? What was that process like? The American ambassador of Albania, he has an incredible process for the Albanian people where it's called the American lottery system. And I think it was actually developed in the 80s when America was actually seeking laborers from Balkan countries and European, Eastern European countries. We applied for the American lottery and my mom was selected. We were given this incredible opportunity to come to the United States with a pathway to citizenships. And we took it. She was a surgeon in Tirana, Albania. She hung up her white coat because she said it was so much better to fight for my future than hers. And she was willing to sacrifice everything she knew to give me the American dream. Tell me what you remember about landing in the United States and stepping onto the United States soil. I remember being excited. I was so young. I was so excited. This was my dream. I remember I had seen America in movies. So this was my land of opportunity. I was excited, but I was also frightened because I didn't speak any English at the time and I didn't understand many, many things. Nonetheless, I was excited. And I remember coming in and I landed in, in Boston. I came to Worcester right away because that's where my parents knew some people that were going to help us get housing. And I remember it not looking like New York or LA. And I remember saying, oh, but this is not the America that I <laughs> that I saw in the movies. Like I kept asking the gentleman where, where the big towers were. <laughs> because I think everybody that doesn't live in US soil thinks America is New York, LA, you know, the big sure. high rise. <laughs> but you grew to love Boston. Don't you forget it, right? <laughs> I'm very much American. You know, a lot of people always ask me like, what do I identify with? And I say, I am Albanian. I'll never forget where it came from. But I think everything 
in me is of American culture and American DNA. You know, I, I'm as much American as anybody that's born here. You ended up in Worcester, as you said, a city in the center of the state of Massachusetts, for those of you who are listening from around the world. Describe that time in your life, because I guess you really loved school. I know you did really well, but take me back to the beginning when you show up in a classroom and you've got no idea what people are talking about. <laughs> yeah, I'll never forget. I had no idea what people were talking about. And the only time when I was able to understand something was when they mentioned lunchtime and I heard the word pizza. And I was like, uh-huh, I know what that is. That's an international word. I was this young girl who didn't speak the language, but I very much wanted to. I wanted to fit in and be socially accepted. So I studied hard and I advanced. And within six months, I was able to unenroll out of my English as a second language classes and, and actually enrolled into regular classes. And then my middle school and high school journey was one that was very involved in academia and very involved in after-school programs. And I really fell in love with the culture. And, and I tried, every, pretty much I tried most things on that the school offered. And I was very eager to continue that path of academia and go into law school because coming from Albania, a country of oppression, I always knew that I wanted to somehow find myself in law and give voice to those that didn't have it. Unfortunately, that didn't end up being the case, but uh, it was very much something I strived for. Tell me a little bit about your parents and the message in your house about what matters in life, you know, uh, work ethic. Paint me a picture. My mom is about survival. My mom's name is Shadia Bayrami, and I grew up under her leadership, and I'm an only child, so I grew up very closely to my mom, but my mom was a chief ER surgeon, and she was a chief ER surgeon in a male presence because the ER, especially when she was working as a doctor, was very male-driven, and she was also a surgeon in a time of war when she was seeing people that were coming red critically, life or death. And growing up with somebody like that, growing up with somebody who was always thinking of yes, always being the answer. Like my mom always told me that when she has a patient in her table, death is not, you know, even an option. Of course, sometimes tragedy strikes, but she's fighting and she fights every breath with that person. And I grew up under that leadership and it, it, it very much became my way of thinking. Like no matter how bad things were, I lived with, with my fears. You know, I, I didn't face them. It's not about facing them. You face your fears every day when you wake up, but it's about living and accepting them and making them join the journey with you. And I did that. And that was the message in my household. It was very much, we might have situations that we don't like, and it's not about facing them, but it's about embracing them and having them be a part of you and, and really a part of the path that you're about to embark on. You discover that you and your high school boyfriend are pregnant. You're 18 years old. Take me back to that time in your life. That must have been, <laughs> woo how do you yeah. go home and tell your parents about that? It was a very dark time in my life. I don't like to sugarcoat it because of where I am now. I like to be very raw because I want somebody that maybe was in my shoes to realize that it's okay to feel pain and it's okay to embrace pain because it's, it leads you out of it, right? That was a very sad time in my life. I felt unworthy of everyone's love. I felt unworthy of everyone's attention. And then I believed it too. And that's the sad part. I believed I was unworthy. Every single day, I was a failure. I was a failure, not only to the people, but I was a failure to myself. That was the saddest thing, that I had failed my American dream. I had failed my mom and all the hard work that she had put on to lead me to this moment in my life. I had failed everybody around me. And that was tough. That was mentally tough. There was a lot of depression that I had to overcome. And I had closed in on myself. You know, every day became my new normality. I accepted the failures for a few years of my life. And 
I almost went through life as a zombie of every day repeating the same thing of going to school, bringing my daughter to daycare, going to work, and accepting that maybe this was it for me. Maybe there was no other way out, and this was my final sentence, so to say. You both, though, managed to go to college. I know originally, you know, we've talked about the fact that you wanted to become a lawyer. You adjusted that dream. You ended up going to Worcester State College. Your husband did as well. And by the way, you're still married, so congratulations on that. Because so often when we get married that young, it doesn't work out, and yours did. But tell us what it was like to have a newborn and be going to college and switching off, I'm guessing, taking care of the baby. I don't know how we did it. I think in life when we're put in very tough circumstances, the best comes out of it. You know, for all of us, I think we become superheroes and we have so much strength that we don't even know where it came from. And that was it for Freddie and I. We had so much strength. I don't even know how we did it, but we did it. You know, our life, we had to adjust quickly. My dreams of going to law school had to be put on pause because I had to pick up whether I was going to be a person that was going to take care of my career, whether I was going to be a mom that was going to provide for my child. And I knew I couldn't do both. I understood that at 18 years old, there was no way that I was going to go to law school, become a, a great lawyer and still be married to Freddie and be able to give attention to my daughter. And who was going to pay the price? Was it going to be Kiara, my daughter, Freddie and me? And ultimately I chose that it was always going to be me because it was essentially my decision. You know, however Kiara entered my life, that was my call. We decided to unenroll and go to state school simply because it was more affordable to go to a state university than it was to go to a private university. And we needed every penny to provide for our daughter. We knew we needed to graduate school because we knew that in today's day and world that we couldn't survive otherwise. And we also knew that we had to work full time. Working was never not going to be an option. Somehow we gathered all the strength and we managed to do all three, raise our child together, go to school full time and go to work full time. I'm going to guess there was a lot of macaroni and cheese in your diet back then, huh? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, we definitely Ramen were. noodles, <laughs> hot dogs. <laughs> but it's a sad reality of there wasn't much around. We were very grateful that Kara was an infant during that time because if we went to bed hungry, it was us and not her. Our house was colder than it was outside because we lived in an oil-heated home and sometimes we couldn't get oil systems. I remember sometimes our application would get denied. But luckily, Kara was an infant and we could throw a lot of blankets and we would wear jackets and our friends hated coming over because it was always so cold. Let's talk a little bit about Kara. And you had mentioned earlier about the love that your mother has for you and the life that she decided she and your father were going to give to you in the United States. What is mother love? Because when they put that baby in your arms, everything changes, doesn't it? A hundred percent. I mean, it changes, I, yeah, from the moment that you know there's life inside of you. And mother love is not being selfish, right? Like mother love is knowing that I will be the warrior for Kara. I will go fight for her every single day and I will protect her with my dying breath. And I always tell Kara, I'm like a soldier. I'm like a warrior. That's really who I am. I fight her battles so she can be safe. And one day she'll have to go fight because I will no longer be able to but it's that type of mindset that I always put in my daughter. I say that, you know, you are the sweet little princess inside the castle and I am the one that's meant to defend it. And one day my time will be up and you will have to take over. But it's with that mentality in mind that my daughter was able to accept the fact that I couldn't make it home all the time because I was at school or I was working, you know, until two in the morning as a bartender or while growing my company when the Golden Group was a very young company. She knew that I couldn't be there for a lot of times, but she was okay with it because she knew that mom was fighting. And it was a war that I had to win. There was no other option. Please support our sponsors. They make this show possible. 
More than 30,000 families and businesses have trusted TechHelpBoston.com since the year 2000. Dave Elmazian, president of TechHelpBoston, with the reasons why. It's really about forging a relationship and having a trusting relationship because your technology is very personal to you. It used to be in the old days that things were private. When you're online, nothing is private anymore. And we want to make sure that that information is kept confidential and with somebody that you trust and you feel comfortable with. You can trust Tech Help Boston to keep your computer and systems running right. Call 781-484-1265 or visit techhelpboston.com. That's techhelpboston.com. It takes teamwork to put a weekly series like this together. I am so grateful to Jordan Rich and Ken Carberry for giving the story behind her success a home at Chart Productions. And to Dan Tebow, our editor from Fast Twitch Media. J.C. Valeris at Platinum Circle Media, who handles our social media marketing and so much more. Thank you all for making me look so good. You were looking for a higher paying hourly wage and you ended up doing what you are doing today. Tell us that story. People say that passion finds you, but I think sometimes being skillful finds you. I think that's very much the message of Greta's story. I think sometimes in life, and especially in situations like COVID-19, we're able to overcome and be great because we seek a better opportunity for ourselves, and we seek it in times of when we are the most vulnerable. So for me, that was seeking a better life for me and my family. I saw this ad that said there was roofing foreman's needed at $300 pay a day. And I was like, wow, this is so much money. I could do this. How hard could this be? And I ended up walking into a job interview as a roof foreman, even though I was a woman. The owner was so shocked that I had like lipstick on and I was so polished that he actually gave me the job right at the interview. So you end up as a foreman for a roofing company. And you get up really early in the morning to do this job, and you do it for quite some time until you reached a point where you said, hmm, maybe I should break out on my own. Tell me about that. <laughs> yeah, I did it for three years, but while I was doing it, I saw that there was a need in construction. There was a need in construction that could provide and innovate and elevate the process because I had always been this smiley personality with really big hospitality traits. And I said, wait, wait a minute, maybe I can put Greta's touch to this because doing it for three years and doing it every day was tough. But every day on site, I, I was learning and I was embracing this new industry. And I was thinking of ways that maybe roofing can be it for me. So you create your own company. Tell us a little bit about the name of your company and what you provide. The name of my company is Golden Group Construction. We're essentially a residential roofing company located in Westboro, Massachusetts. We provide roofing services to residential homeowners that are looking for craftsmanship, peace of mind, and really an innovative way of dealing through the whole process. What are the ingredients, would you say, for a person to be a successful entrepreneur, a small business person? Boy, it's a tough road, isn't it? What are the ingredients? Dedication to integrity, always putting the client first, dedication to the laborers. Like when Golden Group first opened up, I think this is very a big misconception. I think everybody focuses on brand marketing, logo, mood of company, language, tone. Those are very important things, of course. But a lot of people forget the end result. A lot of company owners sometimes forget the laborers, the people out there in the job, driving the cars, handling the equipment, 
And I think that was the mission of Golden Group. And we always focused on the hands on the roof and we always focused on the laborers. And that was our driving force every morning. And maybe for us, that was the driving force because that's where I started. And I remember those three years at the job site feeling unwanted and feeling unrecognized for all the work I was doing. Maybe the marketers, the the salespeople always got the credit. Now my credit was always left last or sometimes non-existent. So when we opened Golden Group, we said, that's one thing we're going to do differently. We're going to start everything from the hands of the roof because essentially they are what carry the whole company forward. You know, the awards are starting to come in. You've got awards for the 40 Under 40 Class of 2017 Remodelers Magazine. You were recognized for your innovation and were given an award for the Big 50 Award in 2019, a national award, the Business Award in 2020. Congratulations on all that. (laughs) Thank you. Do you feel like a trailblazer for women in your field, Greta? Because it sure sounds to me like you are. I'm very fortunate that what started off as just a skill that needed to bring revenue turned into recognizing a need and finding a passion within myself to better this industry and essentially to falling in love with it and wanting to become a leader. All this happened within the last nine years. And today where I stand is really on that leaderboard where I really want to change the face of construction. I want people to take away a lot of stigmas. The first stigma is that women are welcomed and women rock as company owners of many construction industries. A lot of women are actually owners of companies, but they're often their image is muted. And it's muted because it's much better when the husband or the partner takes front and center. But I want that to change. I want people to realize that the woman is very much in the background and she's always been there for a lot of companies, but now it's time for her to stand in front or beside her partner. And then another stigma that I'm very passionate to erase is the way construction workers are perceived. You know, sometimes we're perceived as less than, which is sad because a lot of people sometimes don't feel proud to say that they work for a roofing company, especially people with higher education. And that needs to change because it's an infrastructure, it's an industry that's constantly growing and changing the world. And why not be a roofer? You know, why not be a scientist in roofing, a marketer, sales, a director in roofing? My voice has been very unapologetic about the things that I want to see change on. And that has developed to some national and local attention, not only from consumers, but also from industry leaders. What do you think is unique about what women bring to any leadership role? I think women are empathetic to emotions. Sometimes company owners lead with money, and I don't lead with money and profits. I lead with people. Once we sign on a contract and a client, we no longer look at profit margins on that job. I actually make it so it's not visible because I don't want my sales team, my managers to be so caught up in the margins or where they're going to land that they forget what they promised. They forget what made that client and that relationships build in the first place. And I think sometimes leaders, other leaders, gets so caught up in the margins, the profits, and that's great because that's what runs businesses. But I also think that once you enter a relationship, it's all very much about the person and the emotions and what you're going to bring to that. And I think women are very receptive to that. And I think sometimes that's what makes them great leaders because they're able to tune in and use that motherly skill to really find out what's important to the person sitting across the table. There are always a lot of naysayers out there, people who are happy to tell you that you can't do something. Who has always been your biggest supporter, that one person who believes in you? If I had to attribute to one person, I would obviously say my mother, Shadia. She's always been that one person that believed in me even when I didn't believe in myself. You know, I remember when I was a teen mom and I thought the world was ending. And she said, no, Greta, like, 
you can't change what happened to you. You can't change where you are, but you don't have to accept what's coming. You can change what's coming. That's the only variable that you can change. She was always that person that, that made me see that there is something at the end for me and I don't have to accept what I think the end is. I can change it. And then obviously my husband, my partner, he's very much the visionary of the brand. I'm, even though I'm the CEO, he's very much the visionary beside me who gives me these rainbow scenarios and I have to just sit there and decide which one's going to work. So I think he's very much a supporter and he lets me run wild with marketing ideas and, and visionary ideas that I have for Golden Group. What's the best piece of advice you've ever received? And can you pass that along to someone who's listening to our show? today and maybe it has to do with when you have a dream and you want to make it come true sometimes you can't sit there and wait for the perfect scenario for the passion to be born or whatnot sometimes you just have to take an opportunity what's given to you and grow from there and that's really the biggest message is taking an opportunity when it's given to you and growing from there and and in times such as these that we've hit recently in our economies and our markets it's more important than ever to remember that instead of sitting there and waiting, because I could have sat there and waited for the perfect opportunity, but I took a leap of faith into construction because it was presented to me at a moment where I needed something, right? I needed something to get me out of the everyday struggle that I was living on. To me, that's a very important message to always keep in mind because sometimes we become so focused on what we want, we forget on what is given. And sometimes life gives you some very different alternatives, and you have to embark on them in order to get to where you really want to be. When an obstacle is in your path, how do you get around it? I fight with it. (laughs) When I have an obstacle in my path, I learn to either erase it or overcome it, but sometimes I learn to accept it. For example, becoming a teen mom, I accepted it. I knew what I had happened to me, but I made it become a part of my identity, and I carried it on. I almost call it like a tattoo. If I had to metaphorically speak to it, an obstacle is like a tattoo that either you could choose to take, you know, and put on your skin, you know, erase it, or you can choose to wear it and wear it proudly and make it become a part of you. But as long as you're continuously going forward, obstacles sometimes in my life become a part of me and my identity. You know, being a young mom became very much part of my identity. It's something that I'll always think about. It's something that will always be a part of me, but it's also something that fuels me to continue going forward because I did overcome it. I believe that women see success a little differently than men might, and that we also see our success in chapters in our lives. And if I'd asked you this question five years ago, 10 years ago, 15, 20 years ago, you'd probably have a different answer. But right now, from where you sit, Greta, president of Golden Construction, what does success mean to you? Success for me means to leave a legacy behind. I want to be remembered as somebody that's respectable and I want to be remembered as somebody that did some things that most people maybe didn't think was possible for them. That's what motivates me every morning when I wake up to leave a legacy behind. I want people to remember Greta Bairami, the the girl that, you know, was an immigrant, was a teenage parent, but she made it and she made it in, in an industry that not many are even welcome, you know, particularly women and a particularly immigrant woman. That's what fuels me every day, to leave something behind and attach my name to something much bigger than myself that could live on forever. Because Golden Group might not live on forever. I'm not going to live on forever. But maybe my legacy can live on forever. And that's what success means to me. I want to say thank you so much for being our guest this week on the story behind her success. Thank you so much. Thank you, Candy. Thank you for sharing my story. Thanks for listening to the story behind her success with Candy O'Terry. This is a series with one goal in mind, 
to shine the spotlight on women doing great things with their lives. We hope these weekly stories will motivate and inspire you. If you'd like to suggest someone for Candy to interview, she'd love to hear about it. Connect with her anytime on Facebook, Twitter, and her website, CandyOterry.com. That's C-A-N-D-Y-O-T-E-R-R-Y.com. You'll find all of these links in the show notes. What's your story?